What's Underneath is a CastBox original produced in partnership with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all of your favorite podcasts. You can listen to What's Underneath wherever you get your podcasts, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot and see for yourself. Hello and welcome to What's Underneath, the podcast that will inspire radical self-acceptance through empowering you to embrace what's unrepeatable in you. I'm Lily Mandelbaum, and sitting next to me is my mom, Elisa Goodkind. And we are Style Like You. In our new podcast, we are going to expand the types of intimate, unfiltered conversations we've been having in our viral video series, The What's Underneath Project. Each week, we will interview diverse nonconformists about their relationship to style, self-image, and identity. Being radically honest without shame and holding that honesty with compassion is self-acceptance. Okay, so mom, who are we here with today? Um, so we're here with artist Sylvia Mayer, and she's someone that we have wanted to interview and feature for, for a long time because of how incredibly beautiful she is inside and out in terms of her style and her whole amazing being. And then her art, which just completely blows me away being an art history person and myself, I studied it in college and I loved Baroque art um tremendously and the minute i saw her art um which has a very um, baroque feeling to it um but but very contemporary and about very contemporary issues um related to cultural identity and tolerance and all the other things that i really love um mm-hmm. i was blown away and if any of you are interested in in we're, we're sitting in her home in brooklyn where she also uh, has this, an art studio where she makes her work and we're going to be photographing it later um, after we record so that we can share some of the beautiful um, artwork that she makes and also like a little tidbits of her home and her style on our Instagram account. So if you go to style like use Instagram, uh, you can see Sylvia um, <laughs> and everything she is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... How are you, Sylvia? Well, I'm really happy to be here, and I'm really grateful that uh, I get this opportunity to talk with you, your mom and daughter team. What are you feeling most excited about right now in your life in general? What's in like, my life? Yeah, like what's getting you um, out of bed? <laughs> wow. Well, I'm I'm feeling super excited and scared because my son is going off to college Mm. so that's bringing up a lot of emotions for me right now um you know I'm trying not to put on my own anxiety or fear onto him and Mm -hmm. just letting him fly and being happy that that uh he he's at that level that he can go and fly by himself so I'm really wrestling with how much do I hold on and how much do I let go mm-hmm. right now? So it's kind of bittersweet, you know, just so, trying to encourage him to do things, but inside I'm, you know, like a little mushy. Tight, yeah. 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 Like what are some examples of that? You know, as far as his decision of which school he wants to go to, I'm just trying to be an ear and, and listen and not, um, put in my own two cents about well this school is closer so you'll be closer to me or it's a nicer it seems you know like a prettier environment and, and things that a mom looks at you know mm-hmm. and this is a shorter bus ride home mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, 
you know, and I'm going through his pictures when he was little and just can't believe how how fast everything is is gone. And I'm really excited to see what kind of person he becomes, you know. Mm-hmm. Is he, your, do you have two, you have two kids or? Two? Yeah, I have two boys, 15 and 17 years old. It's a really, um, having been through it myself twice, uh, your kids leaving for college um, or leaving home is, uh, it's so huge. It's yeah. so huge in terms of your own identity. Right. Right. You know, it's like I've had him here all these years and and they're very good kids, so they don't really go out. They're kind of sheltered and I know where they are at all times and to, to know that I won't know what they're doing or where they are and just things you take for granted that I'm actually appreciating, like even doing the laundry or the dishes or little things that used to annoy me. Now I'm like, oh, well, you know. He's not going to be here for me to to bitch about this right now. So I appreciate it. And like, how is that making you feel? Like, what about like the whole, because the whole identity issue of like motherhood versus like, who are you? And it sort of hits at this time because you're, you know, suddenly there's been, you've been nothing but a mother for like 17 years or whatever it is. And, um, and all of a sudden it's like, who am I when the second one goes it's really that but it's really like who am I I I have been maintaining my identity with my work Mm -hmm. um but I feel my my um as far as like your currency of of how much you love somebody that is really like the meaningful part of your life and that is everything so I feel that that is more important than anything, you mm-hmm. know, and that was like, that's the hardest job you ever have, right? Mm-hmm. That's the biggest uh, emotional um, challenge and gift to to be able to mother somebody. Mm-hmm. And uh, all my paintings, nothing has been like the best creation, like a child, Mm -hmm. You know, that is the ultimate creation. And as a painter, we're all about creating. And, and when you see that this child, you're like, wow, why even bother? You know, (laughs) Um, God has done it such a great job, the creator and, and, you you know, so in, in perspective to that, um, as far as my identity, I've always painted and I made sure that I kept painting throughout my kid's childhood because I, it's just something that I'm compelled to do. Is his leaving home and the prospect of his leaving home changing your perspective on your work? Well, that's the thing. You know, people are like, oh my gosh, now you're going to have so much time to paint and they're going to be gone and in school and now your time is your own. And uh, I think I'm a little scared of it mm-hmm. to have all that time. And what if I produce shit? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> what if it's not the best work that I, I've done? You know, there's there's always that doubt and there's always been um, an immediacy with my work. Uh, having had kids and trying to maintain my identity as a painter, I would get in every minute I could to paint in the studio. And it it was interesting because it changes how you approach your work. There was like, I have to give 100% focus because I have a limited amount of time 
So I'm going in there with what matters and only that. I'm not doodling. I'm not painting anything that's not significant to the message that I want to convey with this painting. So in a way, there was a certain clarity that having my kids and mm-hmm. having to balance everything gave me. Like when I went in, it's no no nonsense. I'm going in, boom, get it done. So that's actually a gift of having to balance family life and and being a creative person, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's really, it's really grounding, actually. I, I talk to Lily about this a lot, where n- now that my kids are so independent from me, um, and I don't have anything to take care of like that on a day-to-day basis. Um, even my animals are not babies and I'm sort of craving to have another <laughs> baby animal because, because it, it, for me, um, somehow in my personality and maybe it has to do with being an artistic person or not, I'm not really sure, but it, it it's where my head's at. It, it grounds me. Mm. Otherwise I'm like, just, I have, there's like no grounding so I feel um, this real lack of balance because like, I don't have this kind of internalized ability to ground myself. So. I know exactly what you mean as far as the, um, the act of serving someone else is quite selfish, I found. <laughs> I benefit a lot from it, mm-hmm. you know? And you aren't sacrificing anything. You're getting something. You get something from giving so much. You do. You do. Um, and then without that purpose, giving. Yeah. A sense of like, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being helpful to another human being. I have, I have a purpose in this world, in this, you know, in this puzzle. And it does ground you. I know exactly what you mean. And actually, um, when my mom was ill and I was taking care of her, I felt that gift because it helped me. Like, oh my God, there's nothing better than feeling like you're taking care of somebody that you're you know you just it's tremendous it's a tremendous thing and everybody would say oh my goodness you know that must be so tiring and draining and a burden and it's the opposite mm-hmm. and then it's when, more fulfilling than anything it's you could more be doing. fulfilling than anything and then when she passed I felt that that lack too and that lesson learned of giving was so so selfish and I needed it <laughs> I wanted to do it again and that kind of springboarded me to my project with the mothers that I painted because after she passed and I had this purpose of helping my mother and it was gone then I found these other moms and I wanted to help them I kind of wanted to continue that when was that when did your mom pass uh, she passed seven years ago. Mm-hmm. It was a long road. It was a very long road, but um, uh, can you talk about it? I can. It's just so. There are things you just never understand, and you just never know, and you just you think you can love somebody better, you know. What do you mean by that? If I love you enough, I can fight this disease. Mm-hmm. You know, I can make it go away. Because you feel somehow empowered when you're loving somebody so intently. Because you do have all this charge and you have this strength. And, uh, and you want to love somebody well. 
You know, you want to take it away from them and you can't. Mm. So were you guys, you guys were super close. Mm -hmm. You had a good, a healthy, good relationship. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my mom and I, we were like friends, you know, she did everything they told you not to do. <laughs> Don't be friends with your kids. Be the, um, the disciplinarian, be the one that they look up to be. And she didn't do any of that. She was just like my best friend. So... The loss was devastating. Yeah. How many years was she sick? Uh, she was, you know, from the time she was diagnosed, she had 10 years. From, uh, it's a very rare brain disorder called um, PSP, supernuclear palsy. People call it PSP for short. It's the same thing that um, Dudley Moore had and... Um, it was crazy because it happened at the same time that I moved away. From her? Yes. From where to where? So for me, it's hard to, I can't even express because I thought everybody had that kind of relationship with their mother mm. and people don't. And we were like symbiotic, like one person, like one heart. And when I... I told my mom, I'm moving away, mom. And she's like, oh, really? Where are you going? I'm like, next door. You know, it's just like <laughs> I wanted to be with her all the time because she was just cool. And uh, we were best friends. I could tell her anything and everything that people don't share with their parents. Mm -hmm. But my mother was never judgmental. So this, she was just on my side always. And So you moved next door. So I moved next door to the apartment next door. <laughs> was it this place? No. No, in Manhattan. We grew okay. up on 69th Street and 2nd Avenue. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> I'm moving away next door. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. And then, you know, she, she was a little um, eccentric and her lifestyle was not, um, you know, politically correct. But she really <laughs> what do you mean what by do you that? loved me. She just was, she was kind of gangster and delicate and very stubborn and she did things her way and she was unconventional you know she was a musician and she came to New York from Argentina when she was 19 and in that culture women don't leave your house let alone leave Argentina to go to New York and mm. you know pursue a career in the arts when she came from a family of medicine. All my uncles were doctors. And so she was a little bit of the black sheep. And, you know, so she was a little unconventional. <laughs> Which makes amazing. her awesome. Yeah, truly awesome. Very, very cool. Um, you look, when you're in your paintings, you paint musicians. Is that, is that related to her? That yeah, your fascination I, with musicians? You know, um, there. My mother was a classical pianist and my dad was a musician, R&B, and um, I've always loved music and musicians and it's part of my, my, my fabric. So I, I think also trying to reconcile my relationship with my father, I paint a lot of musicians, trying to see them in a, in a different light and... Music has always been a part of my 
growing. And I even my mom, when she had PSP and it was really bad, I would bring her up in her, her wheelchair and her stomach peg and her, and her trach, and she couldn't mm. even walk. But I'd put her in front of the piano, and she could read Chopin and read a new piece of music and play it. Mm. It would be slow, but she would play it. And I remember when she would play and there was a rest in the music that she would just take the rest. And then I thought to myself at the time, like my mother, every time I heard music after my mother is in the rest between beats, you know, because it's Mm. that, that veil between this life and the next. And I think it's like in music with your, your music and then the rest part and how the rest is as essential to the music. Mm Mm-hmm. It's the same with breathing. It's the same. Hmm. You know, when you have like that, you're, when you're supposed to be breathing correctly, there's like, or when you're doing yoga, breathing, there's like a pause. Mm-hmm. And that pause is supposed to be the part that connects you to everything. You know, like yes. it's the part between everything. Yes. Between ego and thoughts. And it's your, it's your, it's the part that's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. So when she would play and she would take the rest it was just so dramatic to me and what about your dad and and how how you're trying to work that out in your artwork and- um, well you know I think sometimes you get you get one bad egg right <laughs> which happened to be my my father was just a very um frustrated and talented person who should never have had kids why is that because he was he was very self-absorbed and he had a very bad temper he was very very he was always raging he was always angry were they together they were together and um such opposites as far as personality and he was just a real abusive uh person where like my whole childhood I remember just being terrified I think that made me a better painter because I read people you know and I was always as a child of an abusive relationship you're always reading like okay you know when is is this the cue that he's going to go off the end or is this the moment that you know and I always had this desire to disappear because I thought if I if he doesn't see me, then you know I'm safe. I won't get hit. I won't get abused. You know. And you were you were so so you feel that that gave you an ability to, um, like so you observed because being a you, you do a lot of you you mainly do portraits. Yeah. And yeah. of and and do you think do you feel that that contributed to? Is what you're saying that you were able to, like you're fascinated with people's faces and expressions. And And body movement. I think that, you know, I've been thinking about it now and as far as using your trauma to make something beautiful. Like, okay, so you have this shitty environment. And I remember as a kid being aware that this is not me, this is them. And I've just kind of landed into a really fucked up situation I don't know why I thought that way as a child, but even as a child, I had this presence of mind to to look outside of the situation and not put it on myself as if I was the cause. 
Mm-hmm. And it was a gift. I don't know. I was that just born that way. But I always remember looking and saying, no, this is not my soul, my spirit. This is not me. Even as a kid, I was like, this is a screwed up situation. And when he, you know, my mother kicked him out and he left the house and I got older, I really took a lot of time to heal myself, to be my own mother as far as nurturing myself. I was very conscious always. And uh, as far as reading situations, I, I was always very good at reading body language to know how to survive in a, you know, an intense situation. How did your mom deal with it when he was still there? He would never do anything like that in front of her. So when she was there, I had my protector. And I don't know if it was maybe because you see somebody so gentle, you, you feel ashamed to be violent. I don't know what her power was, but she had this this inner strength, a very peaceful person. Then when I told my mother, she kicked him out. And, and that was it. You told her that he would be abusive to you? When, yes. I said he was very like violent. Yeah. So what would happen? He would like, wait till no one was home? Or, right. And, and, right. And would you be, have done something, quote unquote, like bad? Or would it just be anything? Anything. Anything. I came home, like I had to walk to school and come back. If I was three minutes late, I'd get a beating. I mean, it was just like anything. It was really almost like waiting for me to mess up, waiting for me to do something. Because I never remember any time that it was warranted as a kid. And then I remember the first time I stood up to him and I, I told him what I thought. And I hid in the bathroom until my mother came home. And the next morning, you know, so then I, I crawled into bed with her. I slept with her that night. And that morning he came in and he he had a belt and he was like, you know. When she I left? got a beating, you know, that next morning with her sleeping next to me. So she had no idea what was going on. And that's when, you know, that was like the culmination of like it. And that's that when he, yeah, that's yeah. when she kicked him out. She was like, what's going on? And so, You hadn't told her before? <clears throat> no. Why? Why? Well, she knew I was scared of him, but I don't. I don't know. I just. Well, he, I didn't want to burden my mother with it. Right? I would guess. he yell in front of her and just not just wouldn't get physical, or would he? Was all of the rage like only towards you when when she wasn't around? All of the rage was towards me because he felt such frustration with his career, mm. and. Um, I think he blamed her for for having a child, you know, he blamed her for having a child, for getting pregnant as if he didn't have anything to do with it. How old were you um, when this like culminated like this? So I just remember it from until like uh, 11 years old. Mm. And I remember when my mother took me to Argentina with my grandmother and my grandmother when I was like two said, hey, I think he's a little, your child looks afraid of him. Mm. So I guess she was in denial too, mm. serious denial that, right. you know, it wasn't just like a, a disciplinarian thing, but mm. like a really out of control temper. What kind of musician was he? He was a composer and a songwriter. And I still don't know if he's alive or dead. 
and I don't really want to know, and I don't care. When was the last time you had any communication? Um, I think when I was 17, you know, he left. Well, my mother kicked him out at 11 when I was 11, and then we saw each other now and then. And I, I still didn't want to believe that somebody could be that dark. Cool. Yeah. Do you know? Mm-hmm. So you wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt yeah. and see him once in a while. So I wasn't living he's like with your him. father. It's hard to believe that a, your parent. It's hard to. It's very hard to comprehend. I think as a child, parents doing anything to you that would be anything but loving. Like it's hard to understand right. how that happens, even though it does happen. Mm-hmm. Even even in some ways, it can be even worse. With I mean, emotional abuse in some ways can be even worse because it's not as clear. Oh my goodness. Right. Because you, you want, then you would wonder, is it me? Am I reading the situation correctly? Mm-hmm. You know, I can understand that. So, um, so 17, you were saying, so when I was, um, so like off and on, I would see him cause I was dabbling with music again. And I thought, I guess the, 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 the memory of the pain had kind of faded and I wanted to see him on occasion and um then i remember the last time i saw him i was 17 and he started to bad mouth my mom and that was it for me and i just said no i'm done here mm. she's the one that's been taking care of me she's always been kind to me and you have always been a threat so that that was it for me. And then, of course, you know, my mother and I had conversations and she took responsibility because I was very angry with her for allowing this to happen, too, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 gave, I, gave, I gave her a really hard time because as I got older, I started to see, well, you know, your part in this. And, and uh, we had a lot of very open conversations and she was always very... She apologized. She admitted that she took, she right. made she was accountable. really bad decisions and she was accountable for it. And it just allowed us to, to have that space to, to let it be, not pretend that it didn't happen, not pretend that she didn't see it, but just this is what happened and, and you're accountable as well. Mm-hmm. So that's we were am- able to work with that. You I think heal. that's like such an amazing, so, so incredibly key and important to life. Um, I think for everyone and it's a lot of, you know, what we're trying, the message we're trying to give across with all the work that we do is just the, you know, that there is no lying, like, you know, mm-hmm. and there's no lying and having happiness in life or lying and um, having any real connection That's to people. It. You can't like, lie and have an intimate and have relationship. A good relationship. No. Especially a relationship between mother and daughter, or family, or people anyone. you love. I don't think you can lie and have any an intimate relationship with intimacy anybody. Intimacy depends on into me see, right? Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> You've yeah. never heard that one, Mom? No. That's an oldie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the abuse you endured like as a child like do you feel like that has had how do you how have you seen that like fear or whatever impact that had on you like follow you into your adult life well it has followed me even though I I made 
serious um, progress as far as I at, at you know 16 I started meditating I started with you know Louise Hayes affirmations trying to to recalibrate my own brain I mm-hmm. wanted to be in charge of my own mind and uh, it helped me actually because I've never ever been attracted to a bad man Mm. You knew what not to do. I knew what not to do. And these stereotypes that if you're abused, you're going to abuse somebody else. You're going to be in an abusive relationship. And although that may happen to some people, I decided anything that reminded me Mm -hmm. of that situation, I was avoiding. Yeah. I could honestly say that I think that I could see how that would be the case because I feel like I had a pretty like sheltered upbringing in that way. And like my dad was... He has many flaws, but like he was always kind of like a neutral, nice seeming person. And sometimes I th- I think that I was like not really naive, like when I started dating people as far as like I didn't know mm-hmm. what selfish. I don't know. I just I feel like there was a lot. I made a lot of bad decisions because I didn't know what not to look for at all. You can't imagine because you have this role model mm-hmm. of a man that's. That's a man, mm-hmm. <laughs> a gentle, mm-hmm. gentle person. Now, being a mom, raising boys, I use that and make sure that my kids, my boys, behave like men that are gentle and kind mm-hmm. to women, you know. So it's always, in, it's always there, but I, I direct it in a different way. You were explaining how it, followed you into your adult life you were saying that you did the affirmations and the meditations and oh yeah and um I just realized at a very young age that I had to I had this connection with myself maybe because I'm an only child but I felt like I'm with self not by myself but with self Mm -hmm. and that I needed to to take care of that self, of that child that was inside of me, you know. And I um, I wanted to find beauty. And I saw everything that was so, like, I was like, there's got to be more than this. You know, I always felt like I came from another planet and I landed in this situation. I'm exploring Earth. And I was like, okay, this is not working for me. <laughs> I see this side of humanity. of the, But there's got to be something beautiful here too you know and so I became very like a seeker looking for everything that was beautiful that was um (laughs) you know different that that I could elevate my experience to because I always felt life was very precious and I wanted to to be in synchronicity with that and I found it through painting and that was also my my salvation in a way Mm -hmm. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe and give us a good rating so the powers that be can keep this podcast going. Sylvia and I were talking earlier about our own respective struggles with darkness and the fear of that darkness, but the knowing that we need to go into that darkness in order to be happy and liberate ourselves and how that, that the pain is actually the gift. You know, because you were saying how, what would I be like had I not had this pain? Right. That's what we were just talking about. Sometimes I wonder about who am I really without this pain, without this history? Because, you know, they say young children, a lot of their environment is imprinted on them. 
And so I had this, these moments of thinking, well, who would I be without having had this trauma? Would I have not been so fearful in certain situations? Would I have not been um, uh, whatever, all those little idiosyncrasies that are annoying or, like or self-limiting? Can, can, can you give examples doubt, of those? You know, like, like where's an area that you feel you doubt yourself? Because I look at you, I look at this amazing house that you're living in. You you have a husband for mm-hmm. how long? Uh, we've been married for 18 years. And um, you have? Together, 22. <laughs> you have these two kids. You have this amazing career. So can you talk a little bit about where you might feel limited by your pain and where it's actually, what what is that struggle? Well, I wonder if... I would have been more confident without the pain if I would have been able to to be more outgoing without the pain if I would have been able to like not doubt myself because that was really annoying I I think that it annoyed my mom too like I would do something and then I'd be doubting and she's like why do you doubt yourself all the time stop doubting yourself all the time and there was always like maybe like oh um it's not quite good enough or like your artwork, you mean? Uh, or anything? Or how, how about your physical? Like, where do you doubt yourself? Where do you feel not good enough? As far as like making money, mm-hmm. why am I not like being more productive? Well, why am I not selling more work? Why am I not in the standard world? Why am I not able to maneuver in this world? I maneuver very well in my creative world. I feel like there are two worlds, you know, in my creative world, I'm totally like, I don't have the doubt when I'm working. I don't have the doubt. I don't have any of that. Um, And trying to kind of balance like, you know, then when I look outside and I see the world and what we value as successful, that's where I feel like, shit, if I had had the right kind of... um, wiring and framework I'd be more of a productive member of society as far as like making money and and having your savings right and and being a grown-up you know I feel very much like I'm not a grown-up I have that same feeling exactly. <laughs> I have that same feeling you know I wonder if um I, I I was thinking about it this morning I think about it all the time like yeah, like I just, even just the most perfunctory things are really hard for me to do, but it's not <laughs> it's not hard for me to create like a a revolution for acceptance. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with with mm-hmm. like people it, it doesn't even really sink in, but like with you know, like a 14-year-old the other day like I'm going, "Oh my god," like from South Africa posting on Instagram saying because of style like you she has alopecia she's bald she's going to school today without her wig on and you know we get lots of those messages but like I I I I don't it doesn't even really well that comes naturally to you is what you're. yeah it just comes so now I don't even think twice about it I'm like come on let's Mm -hmm. more like it's just let's keep going like that comes so easily because it's creative that's huge that's creative but I don't but I have no sense of what the monetary value of that is. Yeah. And so we, so it's, it's just, well, and I, yeah. I, I, as far as you saying though, that you're not being a productive member of society, I think 
quite the opposite because yes. our society is like so backwards as far as what it values and like who it rewards with money. Well, that's and what I'm like, saying. Right. Yeah. Like and this actually, has been a struggle yeah. for me. That's why I painted the currency series. Nice segue. Yeah. But I'm <laughs> just saying because I was really concerned with value and what we value at the time. And, you know, it was the obsession with the banks falling apart and everything was about money and value. And I... um. I just wanted to investigate that idea of what do we value and I guess try to bridge my own contradictions, my own struggles with the world and my inner life, you know. And for me, currency has always been about achieving your ultimate potential, mm-hmm. you know, that that is your highest level of, of currency is that you come to this planet and then you fulfill your potential. What would be a higher level of currency than that? My art teacher, who I love so much and who's an amazing um, artist herself, was telling me, and she was so embarrassed to say it as if I wasn't going to get it, but that her, you know, she's suddenly realizing how money and like how she has no money and she's in her 60s and she's been painting all of her life and like what about the future and like it's just occurred to her that she's never th- the same thing she's exactly. never she hasn't gotten paid you know she- grown-up stuff that you have your money you have your account you're making you know you're making bank and 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 that you're not but also on the flip side of it I also am sometimes I don't even really care I know what I do is with love and in the right place and it's everything to me and I I don't have that kind of reaction because I guess it's not my ego. When I go to work, I feel like I open up and I allow something to come through me. And, and you realize because you because you would never trade being in your potential, which is what you're doing with your art and you that feeling. Mm-hmm. And and that these other things are just measurements that outside validation. Yeah, they're outside. They're they're mm-hmm. measurements that mm-hmm. society's created. They're not internal measurements. They're they're external measurements that this is. Yeah, that the society has created. We, we're dealing with that same thing right now with our videos, where we've had this ride with the what's underneath project, the series you know that we're most known for, where they started going viral and getting millions of views, and then you really have to work on not becoming attached to that, like right, like because this do, right. new series, which we love equally and think are just as amazing as every other one we've ever done the, mm-hmm. of videos, isn't getting those like it's four years later and they maybe they're not getting that many mm-hmm. views, and we have to work really hard on remembering like what our intention is and like why we're doing it and the yes. the way we feel when we're doing it and how much that matters more than like you know the the, the, the ADD internet culture and whether yes. they've like decided to move on or 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 the whatever don't have the attention span anymore because you'll never understand yeah. it and it's not real mm-hmm. you know and there's people you know if you're not true with your work then why do it mm-hmm. and that's why i can't feel sad if i'm rejected from something because i know that i'm true with it totally the rejection is um it's almost liberating like it, it is liberating it's true it's true cuz you never well I, you, I feel the same way it's 
I'm not trying to, to do something for somebody else, so I can do whatever I want. What are some of the, like, can you, what are the stand, like, what do you feel the most proud of? Is there, some, is, there, is there something that stands out in terms of the messages that you've given through your work? Drawing down the moon was very strong to me because I felt like with that painting, I had a very um, strong sense of fertility and movement, and, and I was able to say it. I also feel very proud of the bodega painting that I, I, I did of our local um, bodega owner. Uh, because I wanted to express the the community of of New York City, which is very multicultural, and I I put all these images in the background of the painting of what we know from bodegas, like New Yorker and Friend and Jews for Peace. Uh, I feel that that was very much um, a a, a um, an honoring of our local people and our mm-hmm. local community and in a in our political climate where it's so uh you know abrasive and 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 racist to show that us as new yorkers we're living a very we're living in a bubble and in our world we're all getting along here i mean my community just within my my small radius uh Here's this man running a bodega who has, you know, Caribbean clients, has all people from all walks of life. And I wanted to show that they're friends, that they're not the criminal element that is portrayed. Mm-hmm. There's somebody that sees my kids every day growing up every morning, and there's a certain trust. And, and that really disturbed me, um, how they criminalize Arab people. So I wanted to paint this mm-hmm. Arab man who is the most peaceful man. He's praying all the time. He runs a bodega. He's part of the community. What would you say is like a current insecurity that you're working on overcoming? Not dimming my own light. Mm-hmm. That's something that I've been watching um, play out in my life where I think it's also from my childhood of wanting to disappear Mm-hmm. to just really being unapologetic and out there and allowing myself to just be mm-hmm. and to be all of me. Mm-hmm. Um, this role as woman, as mother, that somehow you have to be, you know, soft-spoken, you have to be pretty, you have to be... Um, the perfect mother, you have to be the Madonna, you have to be, you know, mm-hmm. to be everything. And um, I'm not that way. And so sometimes I'm loud, sometimes I have a really um, raunchy sense of humor and <laughs> not toning it down anymore, not trying to... Conform or... In not way. trying to... Yeah, to conform or even admit that I think things are so incredibly light and so um, vibrate on such a high frequency and not trying to lower my vibration. So that's really an insecurity that I've been dealing with where I feel sometimes like, okay, just take it down, you know, take it down, take it down. 
because I'm really like in my higher self most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I most really people, relate to that. And a most lot. people don't get it. So you, feel, you know what I, mean? I really relate to that a lot. Like Tia, who's our amazing producer mm. of this podcast, and we couldn't do this podcast without her. When I was interviewing Lily and Lily was interviewing me for the to get this podcast going. She one of the questions was, Lily, how do you feel when your mom is so like, electric kind of with certain people. And I felt that way the minute I met you or I, or I talked to or everyone that we interview. Um, and the reason that I get that way is because I feel so dimmed or like I have to apologize for myself mm-hmm. so much in my life that when I'm around the, my people that don't make me feel that way, that right. we, the conversation is just, it just whoa, like right. it doesn't end and it mm-hmm. just gets deep right away and it gets everywhere right away. And I don't feel I have to like cover up any of my, any part of myself. It's like so intoxicating because I feel so not that way most of the time that it's like a drug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's the friends that I cultivate. We're kind of on in that area. And um, I find it very fulfilling because that's really where I want to, to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm working on, okay, so if a situation isn't really um, matching that, (laughs) not to change myself, not to alter myself, not to try and and bring it down. Mm. Totally. What about your style? How does your style play into that? I want to be comfortable. I want to be like comfortable in my own skin. I, I wear fabrics that make me feel sensual and just feel good against my body. I want to be, I want to be like flowy, <laughs> you know, I just want to flow through life. So lately I've been wearing a lot of kimonos and things like that that are just kind of flowy. And um, what about your hair? Have you always had this, these long dreads? No, no, they, they came like eight years ago. So it's usually, that's too comfort mm-hmm. because I'm lazy so can you explain that i got tired of dealing with corkscrew curls which i i could only comb them in the shower and uh sleep a certain way i'd have to braid it if i didn't you know at night so the next morning i would look you know kind of pulled together but even then my hair was natural and and very much myself Um, but I think once, you know, I think my thyroid started to go a little down after having the two kids and I started to feel like I was losing a lot of my hair in the shower. And it was very hard to tell anybody because when you have big curly hair, nobody can tell that you're like losing your hair when you still have a a huge like afro. Mm -hmm. But I knew I was kind of losing a lot of hair after the pregnancy and then, um, it's like, you know what, I'm just going to lock it so I don't have to deal with it and and keep my hair on my head. So I think that's kind of how it evolved now that mm-hmm. we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. You certainly don't look like you've lost any hair. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you look like you have some to give away. Yes. Like to me. Mm-hmm. And before I had even more hair. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what about... So, so okay. never you've never like sort of felt any need to conform style wise to or dim your light style wise you 
You always well, have felt comfortable expressing yourself. You know, naturally. being a mixed kid in a very homogenous world at the time, I felt like an outsider. I felt like uh, the black sheep because everybody had straight hair, and in the '80s, everybody like worshipped this like Barbie doll. Um, blonde, which I was never going to be. And my mom was white with straight hair. So I thought she was just so beautiful. And I wanted straight hair to look like her. Um, I didn't really get the whole race issue. um, Because when I was a kid growing up in the city, I chose my friends based on who they were. One of my best friends was Filipino. And then I remember when I went to uh, another school, a private school, and the first day of school, the black girls came up to me and like, oh, you've got to be our friend now. I didn't understand. And I said to them, well, I'd love to be your friend. It's just, don't you want to get to know me first? I couldn't understand how that you could choose somebody to be your friend without knowing them just because they look like you. Mm-hmm. Now... <laughs> I understand walking around in our in our skin color and our complexion there is a certain camaraderie that you have with with people that look like you and that you know undergo the same struggles of being black in America and I get it and I understand it now mm-hmm. um I guess at the time I was I didn't really experience it cuz I was very young and I didn't um I felt like an outcast and I wanted to be friends with them, but I wanted it to be based on who you were. Yeah. Because what if, yeah, I'm black like you, but what if you don't like me? What if I, you know, what if we have nothing in common? What if, you know, let's just like slow down. Let's, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, let's get to know each other first. And uh, so that, that kind of alienated me in, in high school not even intentionally. Mm -hmm. So I was always pretty much on my own, in my own, but not because I was stuck up or anything. I just had no other way of seeing people at that time. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to Argentina and I was in a very uh, homogenous environment, with, I did feel, oh, okay, being the outcast, being, you know, black in an all-white, environment and how difficult that was um as far as like being stared at all the time and and feeling very uncomfortable with it you know when you're the only one and then it it was very it was hard to be the outcast and then being with my my mother's family who at this point you know my father was out of the picture and then I felt like I represented this this part of the couple that was hurting their daughter. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I took on Mm -hmm. all of this shit that wasn't even me. Mm -hmm. You know, my grandmother adored me as a brown, adorable baby, but I felt the, this shame of, of being that part of the relationship, looking like that part of the relationship, Mm. not being ashamed of being black. If I had blue eyes and he had blue eyes, uh, anything that would remind anybody of him through me made me feel very shameful Mm -hmm. and then also put you you, is what you were saying it put you also in a position when you were in Argentina and with your mom's family of understanding what those girls the girls that came up to you 
and yeah. wanted to just be your friend just based on on being brown on, be, on being on your race right it made you understand what that then i understood yeah. what they were doing and then i was like okay i get it now and then when i did go back you know i i i cultivated mm-hmm. those friendships mm-hmm. and i i embraced um those friendships and i understood where it was coming from and i was grateful to them because then i became very concerned about my you know people of my race suffering and right wanting to to express that in my paintings oh and can you the talk men about that, that I, I paint i, I yeah. thought okay i want to again it's always been about healing myself and and then i became so aware of race that i became aware of um stereotypes i became aware of how how we're seen in the media as black men. And here I was having all these wonderful black friends and black men friends. And I was like, well, he doesn't act any anything like my father. You know? Because I had this, like, this, this is something that um, really stuck with me. And I wanted to create positive images of people that I knew. I didn't even have to create the positive images, just... Um, documenting who they are mm-hmm. to heal yourself and to and to heal the culture right because i didn't want to walk around with this pain thinking that um i'd have a uh, i don't know it's very difficult to explain when when you have had a situation of um abuse and then you want to distance yourself from that abuser you don't want to be seen as the abuser no matter who they are and I think that looking into to myself I saw that and I wanted to correct it what would you say is like a remaining source of shame in your life is there anything that you can think of I think I've released my shame I feel very forgiving I feel forgiving of myself. I feel forgiving of of my father, even though I feel forgiving of my mother. I feel... Um, I don't feel shame. I feel this is who I am and that I'm making the best of my situation. I kind of... I always surrounded myself with people that were good for me. So I'm not feeling shame anymore, which is awesome. pretty cool. nice. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's the biggest risk you've ever taken? Um, my biggest was trusting. I think my biggest risk really was to trust because I had a hard time trusting people. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. I had a really difficult time letting people in, um, letting my husband in. So I, trusting him was a big risk. Oh, my God. Trusting a man was a huge, huge risk for me. Mm-hmm. How uh, did you learn to do that? Like, what, what happened? Well, he was relentless, you know. <laughs> pursuing you. Yeah. Yes, pursuing me. And I was just, I had a really hard time trusting his love, I guess maybe that's where the shame was. I had a really hard time, like 
even now, I was like, how can, I don't understand how he can be with me 18 years later. And I, sometimes I look at him like, is something wrong with you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I do have a hard time um, believing that he, that he could love me like that. Mm-hmm. So the trust is my my biggest issue, but I've I've been working on it. I've been How do you work on, on it? it? Um, that's when I go back and I realize that is it me or is it the trauma? Mm-hmm. You know, if if the trauma didn't happen, would I be able to trust somebody's love? Probably so. So <laughs> a man's love, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that that helps me. And also, really, his actions. So when I actions? just pull myself back and I look at it rationally, all of, all of his actions have been those that show that he can be trusted, you know? Like, like what? Supporting. Uh, well, when my mom got sick, he took my mother to, like, every single one of her doctor's appointments. Mm-hmm. Um, he was there when she, when she died with me. So pretty solid, pretty Mm -hmm. solid person, not running away when you see that things are getting difficult because it was a 10 year, um, trip with my mom and having little kids at the same time because I told you she got ill right as I was starting my new life having these little babies to take care of and then watching my mom start to get ill and telling him look you know my mother has to live with us because I have to I can't I can't function if I'm worried about her all the time and to go through that is really hard the stress Time I every time I'd hear an ambulance, I thought, "Are they coming to my house to get my mother?" Hospital visits. Is she gonna fall? Is she breathing? Do I have to tend to her wound? Is you know? I mean, like real, real life stuff. Do you, she have pneumonia? Do I have to fight with doctors? Do I have to get her out of the hospital? Do I have to, you know, things that are not romantic, things that are um, life and death when you deal with somebody. And your situation is life and death, and they're your partner, and they're they're with you. You can trust them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful, and that's really beautiful. What are you most afraid of? I can't say dying. You're not afraid of dying. No. Why not? Because I was with my mother when she died, and I saw it, and I feel like I kind of went with her there Mm -hmm. and came back. And I know everything is going to be okay. Uh, I think that was her gift to me for taking care of her all mm-hmm. those years was, I'm going to show you the ultimate thing of what you're afraid of. I'm going to show you it's okay. Mm-hmm. How did she show you that? She showed me because, you know, so it was five weeks in the hospital, and I spent every night at the hospital. I'd sleep with her in the bed, <laughs> in the ICU, in wow. the bed with her, and the doctors would just tend to her and work around me. And I, you know, I felt like I had this opportunity to, it's not my time to go, 
But as I told you, we were so close that she's like, I'm going to show I'm going to share dying with you. Mm -hmm. And uh, when she died, you know, we took her off the machine and she was she had the moment of clarity. I mean, that's when she was clearer. She looked at me and she was very clear. And you know, you ever smell something? You're like, I know that smell. You're like, I know this smell. And you're trying to figure out, how do I know that? Where do I know that smell from? Right? It was so strong. I was like, and I said to my husband, Andre, do you smell? He goes, yeah, I smell. What is that? And I was like, I don't know, but it's so familiar. And he went out of the room and as I, I put my hand down over my face, I knew, oh, that's my grandmother. That's the smell. It's my grandmother because I remember her smell. And as I had that moment of realizing I'm smelling my grandmother right now, my mother opened her eyes and she looked straight ahead and she smiled She smiled and then she died. Wow. Yeah. Like in a way, like she saw your grandmother? She saw my grandmother. And so it was like, wow. I smelled my grandmother. My mother saw my grandmother. And then she went and she went smiling. And that's how I knew that that was my gift. That was the gift. That is. That was the gift for all those years of loving and being so close to her that was the gift that's so awesome yeah mm-hmm. and and you, you so felt- i didn't feel afraid anymore i felt like i didn't feel any fear so but it was she very liberating in. she let me in she let you in she let me in she's like just stay with me i'm going to show you this mm. this is the last lesson <laughs> I'm going to show you this. And she was vulnerable enough to let you in. Like, I, I just think so much in our world right now, there's so much fear around aging, fear around death, and that people that are in those positions aren't talking openly enough about it mm-hmm. with their children because mm-hmm. it would be helpful. Oh, my God. I think that's a very important conversation you in part to of have. the process. Yeah. And... and uh, you know, I remember her doctor told me it's the first time that I've ever treated a patient's daughter. <laughs> really, because my mother was very holistic and she was fine letting things happen naturally, but she stayed alive for me. And she told the doctor, just do what my daughter asks you to do. Because she knew I couldn't handle it, you know, her leaving. Mm-hmm. And... uh that would that so that fear was taken away, um, and now uh, my fears. I I think if I I say I had a fear, maybe not have my having my kids feel proud of me, you know, maybe that's it. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. to feel like not. Um, Loving them in the way that they needed to be loved, you know? To maybe failing that, right. To leave them with that sense of self and happiness for their own lives. Mm -hmm. And you know that you can affect that. Right, right. That's my greatest fear is that 
I relate to that. Yeah. I, I also think that that's another topic that isn't talked about enough, which is I think there's a lot of parents that just feel like they wash their hands. Okay, had had them, here they are, they're off to college or whatever it is, done, stop, you know, don't have to look at myself. And I see mothering so opposite from that. I feel mm-hmm. like you're never done because if you can't ask anything of them that you're not doing yourself. Right. You can't, and you're, um, the listening part that these people you care so much about, have you been able to, I can say I love you, but if you don't feel the love, then I'm not doing it right. So Mm -hmm. how do I find the way to connect to you that you, that I love you the way you need to be loved? Mm -hmm. So that's my, my thing is like, I hope that I can do that. It's literally what I'm going through with my husband because, um, we've been together for 33 or something for five years at this point, but like married for 33 or something. And, um, I know we're like relics. That's great. Um, but it doesn't come without, of course, without enormous struggles and tensions Mm -hmm. and ups and downs and backs and forth and everything. And, um, literally we were talking about, I mean, if I had to distill our relationship right now, it's exactly the same thing where, um, he's learning. He, he, he just always had this idea. I just love you. That's all. Um, but I'm like, but if I don't feel that you're, that you love me, what's the point? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, we we were, we were literally having this conversation last night. Like, I'm like, you just, you just don't say, I love you. Just saying, I love you does not mean that the people around you feel feel that you, yeah, it's, 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 it, that's so unaccountable and selfish and like and just unaccountable and fearful it's 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 not taking responsibility it's not taking responsibility for for your your position position right in 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 these people's their lives lives. right and that is what i'm talking about that's exact i think that's why i had a great relationship with my mother because she knew how to make me feel loved right there was a connection and if you can't if i can't break the code of my child, what they need, how they need them, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not. You're not taking your, um, it's not your end of the bargain. You're not living, because then you can't, it's all about ego. I mean, it's all, it's all about being able to admit you're wrong, to be mm -hmm. able to be just completely accountable for your behavior, to be vulnerable, to be willing to learn, to not have to be right. Right. Yeah. You it's can't all be these right. things that keep you in, that keep this, and keep it, this in between you and making that pure connection. And it's with a somebody. movement. It's always movement between two people and, and it's listening to them and, and how, and how, and why it's not even why anymore. It's not even asking why it's just, figuring it out you know the person feels it or they don't right and And so if you don't feel i i like the sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but there's this uh in ladybird did you guys see ladybird the movie they say at the end of it like someone says in it 
love is what you pay attention to. Like what you choose to put your attention towards is love. Like it's not just saying something. It's an active yeah. thing. Yeah. It's a behavior, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's active. Mm-hmm. Ongoing all the time, forever yeah. changing. What does the other person need? Mm-hmm. It's not this frozen I love love you you statement. It's not a statement. And everybody like, oh, I love you. And you get into this um, habitual thing of you kiss each other. Hello. Oh, I love you. Mm -hmm. It's like, what does it mean? I mean, you know, what does that mean? It's just like this uh, conditioning, this habit. But, you know, you want more. You want to feel deeper. You want to. It's one life. You You want want to to have an experience, Mm -hmm. right? You're sharing your lives with somebody else which is huge because you have, you know. Which is such a vulnerable thing. Which is huge. It's you the made ultimate this decision to share mm-hmm. your lives with this person and then not, e- like even with children, you made a decision to have them, right? Or to not. Sh- yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I Recently, someone that we interviewed for What's Underneath, and I think it's the title of her video because I loved it so much, but it was... She said she had a very rough, very rough relationship with her family and her parents. And and she said um, uh, parents should thank their children. Mm. And I I really agree with that. So what does self-acceptance mean to you? What do you think? Mm. How would you define it? Self-acceptance is accepting all your your Mm fuck-ups and your flaws and your... um, your inability to love more. Because mm-hmm. usually that's where I get into the trouble. Is like I feel like I haven't loved enough. I haven't been able to to be vulnerable enough mm. with the people that I care about. And even when you're you're guttural or when you're when you're mad or angry or confused, to just accept it and. And it's okay, you know, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be sweet all the time. You can be salty. You can get angry. It doesn't make you a bad person. Mm -hmm. You know, I've often felt like Mm. if I'm mad that I'm a bad person, if I'm, you know, bitching about something, I'm a bad person, you know, I'm not grateful. Um, And just sometimes things are shitty, you know, there's shitty situation and you can say it. And and it doesn't mean that you're like, because sometimes I feel like the opposite, always trying to be the optimist. And some things are just not, sometimes there's not a good situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to allow yourself without judgment to just be bitchy or be cranky and not judge yourself. Right, mm-hmm. it's part of being human. Mm-hmm. And if you could um, give any piece of advice to your eleven-year-old self, the self that was, you know, dealing with what you were dealing with, um, wanting to hiding in the bathroom, hiding in the, <laughs> if you could say anything to her, mm. what would you say? That's going to be okay. <laughs> And that it's not you. It's really not you. And and to be brave, to be brave. 
you know, and to be to be brave because uh, that was a very difficult situation standing up to an authority figure, even though you're in the right, mm. and and be punished. Mm-hmm. So be brave. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. That was absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. That You're was such f- a so treat. Healing. That was such an yeah. unbelievable gift to the world, to us, and now to the world. Really such a gift. You are. Thank you. That was really, that was big. This is big of you and kind and generous. And you gave so much to us just now that I, I'm like kind of, I'm vibrating right now. We hope you were inspired by this episode. Until next week, that's it from me, Elisa. And me, Lily. If you agree that facades separate us and being radically honest brings us together, help spread the movement for radical self-acceptance by sharing this episode and subscribing to our podcast. You can also watch our videos by subscribing to our YouTube channel and following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook using the handle at StyleIQ. That's the letter U instead of the word U. And check out our book, True Style is What's Underneath, The Self-Acceptance Revolution, on Amazon or at a local bookstore near you. We can't skip ahead to a happy ending or live inside a photoshopped image or an Instagram filter. There's no finding oneself when glossing over the truth. what's up my name is Kaylin and I am the host of what I like to call coffee talks and what the coffee talk podcasts are are pretty much just exactly that if we were sitting physically face-to-face having a chat over coffee the types of things that we would talk about coffee talk podcasts go up every single Monday to start your week off right and we cover everything from adulting to mental health to all the nitty-gritty in between, including Gossip Girl references and food-related, you know, food-related things. So whether you need a podcast to start you off on the right foot in the morning or to wind down with your decaf at the end of the day, I highly suggest you make your way on over and join the Coffee Talk crew because, I mean, there's a space, there's space for all of us here and the coffee is unlimited and free-pouring. Let's chat all things life, coffee, and everything in between. This is Candace Lowry from Persister. Persister is a podcast where I interview badass women who've broken down barriers to really make a name for themselves. I'm talking to actors, entrepreneurs, and just women who know how to get stuff done and can help you learn how to get ahead. You can listen to Persister on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.